We're good to go? Yep, it's recording. Cool, you want me to do my intro if I remember it from like a year ago? Hell yeah. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Thank You Now What, a podcast about life after service. I'm your host, Matt DeVivo, joined today by producer Ben Murray and new co-host, Chase Martin. You might know Chase from a couple previous episodes where he was on the show himself and uh, a couple movie episodes. And I (laughs) launched this new um, uh, chapter in our journey by stepping right on him on the audio. I didn't know it was supposed to fuck. <laughs> Everybody, bear with me. I'm uh, I'm a neophyte, but uh, I'm excited to be part of this project, which is going to go towards uh, helping uh, people instead of just purely profit and lining our pockets. Right, as it was always the case before. So we had, so we'll talk about the format of the show going forward, uh, just real quick, and then we actually have an episode that we recorded about a year ago, and uh, we'll just play that for you because we've been sitting on it for a while. So, you know, if you're listening to this, you probably can see that we haven't dropped an episode in about a year. You know, Ben and I have been super busy. Um, not a great excuse, but you know, we just haven't gotten around to it in a pretty long time. So I think to make it a little bit more manageable, we're going to do a couple things. So. Uh, we're going to drop it down to, you know, one episode a month. I guess if we start recording like hell and we get a little backlog, maybe we'll drop a couple in one month, but we'll try to target one per month. You know, aside from that, we're going to do, we're going to still try to focus on the interviews, but also we like talking about movies, which we'll be doing today. And, uh, you know, we'll, uh, if we're not doing an interview, we'll do a movie. We'll do either or per episode. Hopefully they're all entertaining for you. Chase and I will get on to give you a little intro or outro and kind of recap uh, whatever we talked about on the episode. And I, I don't think it'll feel wildly different. Uh, should still be entertaining and should still, you know, go to our mission about talking about, you know, not just life after service, but life after transition or in transition and focusing more on uh, human interest. And then one change that we're making just to you know let everybody know is that we we have never personally monetized the show um we've kind of raised a, a little bit of money to pay for the show's expenses and then we've actually given away the majority of money we've brought in um, to other nonprofits. i think we're just going to take that out completely so we're no longer monetizing the show whatsoever we're just self-publishing And then if you really like the show and you're looking for ways to support our extended community, we're still going to maintain our website support page, but it's just going to show you basically every organization that we've either featured or talked about on the show, right? People come on. It's it's kind of a key tenet of the veteran community is that we try to do a lot of good in the world. A lot of that is through nonprofit organizations and things like that. So we'll still maintain those. So uh, we'll keep reminding you every episode, just support the people that we like. And uh, you can do that always by going to thankyounowwhat.com and then clicking on the support page. So it should be refreshed by the time this thing drops. Ben, anything to add? Oh, you got it. The website should be the same. So you'll see the the new nonprofits as they're listed. You'll still see a highlight of, of who's been invited on. And now we get uh, some more color with the intros and outros uh, with Chase and Matt. Psyched for this next chapter. 
Chase, I think when we talked last time, still a year ago, you're still in Chile. You're still going to uh, be coming back to the U.S. at some point. You're in the U.S. right now for a few weeks, and uh, hopefully I can make it down to D.C. and uh, I don't know, we can raise a glass together or something. Oh, yeah, definitely, man. Uh, anytime, especially if they remove my canine teeth. I think uh, I could use a drink after that. Yeah. <laughs> we, More to come on that. If something will work, dude. I don't know. It's got to get out of the system. <laughs> I'll just give you a, a, a little intro on the episode that's coming up, right? So it's a little bit like uh, Inception. It's like an episode within an episode within this uh, uh, quick little intro. So you know, we originally wanted to record another movie show. So it's not a military movie, but it's a movie that everybody in the military has seen. Big Lebowski, obviously cult favorite, everything like that. I think we recorded it on like the 25th anniversary of the release and then we sat on it for a year so you could just call it the 26th anniversary and that's uh, just a special or however many years it is so that's the bulk of the episode and then we had kind of a uh, a false start on relaunching the podcast back on new year's and ben and i took a trip down to coney island to do the polar plunge and uh, run in the ocean on new year's day so we recorded a little like 10 minute episode you know, on our way down there and back. And we were originally going to introduce the Lebowski episode then. Um, but again, we kind of, you know, let it sit on the shelf for, for a bit too long, but I think we had a good bit of banter in there. So we're just going to plop that in here for you. So when we get off of this chat, it'll go to that. And then finally, you know, the, uh, the main, the meat of the episode. Yeah. I had, a, I had a ton of fun. It was funny listening to it like a year later. I think we already did the edit back then, but, uh, it was also cool just to, you know, you forgot a lot of the conversation, but you remembered a lot of it too. Yeah. Some of that conversation, um, I probably want to forget, but you know what? I think, uh, play out well. I think I enjoy it. <laughs> I think it <was> fun. <laughs> I think something that you can keep bringing to the uh, podcast, which we've seen on a couple other episodes, is really just diving into the uh, absolute complete depths of the internet where no one's ever been before to bring us uh, some some cool kind of human interest stories like the Hakiki Mori and whoever the hell else you were talking about. <laughs> just a wild trip. Well, I got more, man. I mean, that's that's generally where my, my head is at. Um, and I think it's something at the end of the day, when we all return to singularity as one people, we'll all be able to understand the let it rot movement or um, any one of these other things that are going on in the world. So anybody is welcome. Anybody. All right. What do I usually say here before we uh, pass it over? Thanks for tuning in, and uh, we hope you join us next time on Thank You Now What? Please join us next time. Come on in. <laughs> Come on. Come back. It's uh, January 1st, 2023. Ben, do you have any affirmations for this year? <laughs> I got none. <laughs> How about you? I'm just happy to be uh, back recording again, so here's to another... Uh... 48 episodes. Uh, positive affirmations for me. I will love myself. I am beautiful. I don't know. I will try to get us there on Google Maps while recording a podcast. <laughs> I want to record and release 15 episodes this year. Attainable. 
if you're one of our regular listeners, you may scoff at that notion. But uh, I don't know. Maybe we could do it. We're back. We haven't released an episode in like six months. I think it's a... It's not even really a combination of things. We just haven't done it. Uh, We've both been super busy at work. But yeah, I think I got into a rut where uh, I couldn't spend like another hour at the computer in a given week. I was just too much. I don't know what it's like for you. Yeah, dude. I finally fell into that Zoom wormhole. Yeah. The day just goes by. Yeah, I know. It's like, you know, you put in a whatever hour week. Um, If you know us personally, you could probably guess. Uh, Mostly at a computer or on a, you know, plane or something like that. And I just don't want to spend extra time staring at a screen. I love the conversations that we had. And, you know, if we had like a tenth of the staff that the uh, Obama Springsteen podcast had, which would still be about 12 people. Um, You know, we could ask other people to help us with booking, uh, scheduling, editing, you know, posting, grabbing social media clips, all kinds of stuff like that. And we could simply just focus on the conversation, which really is what we're trying to do. But, you know, we just have to find extra time in our days and weeks to do that. Gotta streamline the edit, or go uncut. (laughs) With this group, with, I think we've been at this for long enough where we can say, you know, with this group, uh, might not want to go uncut for a couple reasons. So why are we in the car today? What's going on? Well, right now we're taking a tour of some neighborhood in Brooklyn because I missed a turn because we were setting up uh, the recorder in the truck. Um, I forget who challenged us to this. Uh, my guess would either be Josh Apple or Mike Irwin, but Ben and I are going to do the polar bear plunge at Coney Island, New Year's Day, um, run into the ocean. Uh, I don't know how much time we have to spend in there and then, you know, come out. It's like an event. I think we need to get our head underwater. Okay. Okay. That should be required. Tread water for 10 minutes, holding a brick. Tell everyone we're a Navy SEAL. (laughs) Oh, we're driving right by Fort Hamilton right now. Nice. Yeah, so, and then, like, just uh, to let everybody know, it's currently saying it's 53 degrees outside, so not the coldest... New Year's Day. This is about a week after the bomb cyclone, which would have had us in the water at, you know, zero degrees outside. But, you know, we'll probably show up and meet some regulars who call us pussies for getting in the water on a 50 degree day. But, you know, whatever. We'll see what it's like. When I think of Coney Island, I think of probably a handful of, probably three major events, right? One's the hot dog eating contest on July 1st, July 4th. Uh, one's the polar bear plunge on January 1st. And then, what is it, the mermaid parade? Mermaid parade, yeah. When is that? I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So, <laughs> I got a lot to contribute today. <laughs> I, I never, and really, polar bear plunge was something you thought of? I didn't even, this has never 
This has not been on my map. You've lived in New York for far longer than I have. And I just, it's not something I've ever. I think it was talking to Josh Apple. Yeah. Where he's like, you got to find stuff to do that's hard, like, all the time. And then he was saying that, you know, he goes in his outdoor pool 365 days a year, no matter what. Of course, the guy lives in Arizona. I mean, come on. Uh, but, you know, well, it does get cold in the desert. Uh, and then we might have brought this up. I got to go listen to the episode. doesn't matter who brought it up. We're on our way to do it. We'll see what it's all about. I'm sure there's a bunch of, like, old fat people who've been doing it for 50 years. Uh, and then a bunch of, you know, tourists or one-timers. But, uh, it'll be fun. I don't know how cold the water is, right? It's the Atlantic Ocean, so I'm guessing that's probably still cold, even though it's, like, long t-shirt weather today. Yeah, I feel like we're going to record after we, we do this, and we might be converts. This might be an annual pilgrimage. Yeah. Doubt if it, we're, uh, but you never did. Yeah, who knows? We have to go on a day where it's actually cold. So if it's like 50 degrees again next year, then maybe we'll skip it. But if it's like 10 degrees next year, then we got to come. Right? Yeah. Okay, good. All right, count me in. Yeah. What else? What are some of the top lessons you've learned like from doing the interviews? Oh, man. Uh, expect anything. Expect that somebody will not take your question the way that you intended it and kind of go off and start discussing something else. So I think, you know, both of us are kind of like following a narrative in our heads at the same time. And when they match up, it's great. And you can get a lot of, you know, good uh, conversation out of it. But when they don't, you have to figure out like what the other person's trying to talk about and then trying to like meet them back up again. If you have a script, like be willing to uh, not abandon the script, but really like set it aside for as much time as it takes for the interesting part of the discussion to follow to its own conclusion versus trying to like force the steering wheel back on some kind of predetermined script that you had going into the interview and be okay with stuff that you don't cover. You know, I'll pull out, I'll bust out like 20, 20 bullet points on a page that I try to use is just so the air never goes dead. So you always have the next thing to, you know, once you reach the end of some kind of thread that you're talking about, but like if it takes a turn, just go with it. What have you learned? I think what I've learned from listening is all about like respecting somebody else's interview style or how things go. Everybody does it differently. And, uh, and it's, I mean, you've worked with Ken Burns. You've worked with Matt DeVivo. <laughs> Good. You know, is there a better storyteller? We can't say it's just two different styles. Yeah. All right. Okay. Great. I just wanted to cover that. <laughs> Even, you know, <laughs> peer to peer. Right. <laughs> I think the other thing that I've learned is just watching from the arc of the first episodes to where we are now, where you'll give more pause or let it breathe a little bit more. And that's where I think some of those other threads or the interesting parts you were talking about start to come out. Mm. Yeah, so that's something I've taken away is like, okay, like, yeah, you always keep it going, but you'll find strategic moments to 
let it get a little uncomfortable in the pause. And that leaves the guest, like, filling it. And I think that's sometimes where it veers into something unexpected and pretty exciting. Yeah, I forget where I learned that. Because uh, I definitely read it or heard it somewhere. But humans have a natural tendency to fill the space. So if you're interviewing someone, it's probably better for you to let them fill that space uh, before jumping in yourself. I think the biggest takeaway I've had from doing the podcast is is just that theme of like there's there are many ways to serve. There are many ways to add value to this country. And that's kind of went myself to some of the work I do has is, is definitely changed. Mm. Coming up in the New York documentary filmmaking scene, they weren't the most generous to the military with a lot of the films you'll see out there. No, you don't say. <laughs> so, you know, I think coming up that way, it's been eye-opening in a very positive way. And it's helped, helped me kind of change where I'm, I'm going with some of the work I do and to be deliberate about it. Okay, how can I take my skills and add value? Now it's funny. I mean, I tried that once a long time ago, but ignorantly, where I just like emailed the government. <laughs> I forget what site it was, but I was like, "Hey, I make films. I, I have this certain skill set. How could I contribute?" And of course, you know, didn't get any response. Didn't think twice about it. Lazy. So it's nice to now be doing some work that I think is adding value. This traffic. Yeah, I'm just gonna park at the aquarium. Dude, this is going to be cold. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to park up, uh, hop out, do the plunge, and then we'll get back in and introduce the episode. All right. It's going. Okay. How was it? Amazing. You know what? It's like a summer day out. Uh, I think a big lesson, there was a huge line, and uh, we skipped it. Yeah. So there's a... Uh, line to register for this thing so they have a hundred yard stretch of the beach roped off we've got lifeguards and everything we have a registration booth and the line goes down like two blocks wraps around and goes another block and a half so you'd probably have to sit in line for two hours to get a wristband if you didn't want to do that you just go 50 yards to the left on the beach and go in yourself. <laughs> it was so simple that it almost seems like you shouldn't be able to do it, but then you think like, well, it's the ocean. No one really owns it. Yeah. Right? <clears throat> so yeah, they're just like one like one jetty to the left. You just go really go in the ocean anywhere you want. Yeah, but I agree. It's like a, that line and the way it was packed in, it made it seem like it would be illegal to swim anywhere else. It did, because there were so many people in line, you're thinking like, well, it has to be, uh, you would have to be like sighted for going somewhere else, but no, you can just do it. <clears throat> so it's another one of those New York things where, you know, I would never do, I would never watch the ball drop at Times Square, peeing down my leg for five hours. <laughs> But uh, this thing, I mean, I don't know if they want a certificate or something. So, I don't know. Let's talk about the actual uh, taking a dunk. I mean, amazing. it was easy. Nothing. I don't know. I got that. It was like 
No big deal. It's going in a really cold ocean. Yeah. yeah. It did feel, it felt good, right? I could see how you can, you know, all I mean is people who do the cold plunge like every day. So this is the same. It's like the ocean in January, right? Even though it's a hot day or a warm day for this time of year, the ocean is still cold as shit. <clears throat> but when you get out, it's warm. You yeah, you feel incredibly warm just because, you know, it's 50 degrees out. It's not bad at all. So it felt like cheating. <clears throat> it did feel like cheating. But I could tell you, so uh, when I went through survival school, like early in my military career, you know, they have you, uh, you know, jump in like a frozen lake and then, you know, get changed. I don't know. It's like, so you can feel like what hypothermia is, but you don't get it. I kind of forget the whole premise, but <clears throat> it was actually a lot colder then, you know, so it's probably like a 20 degree day and you jump in the frozen lake uh, with like your uniform and boots on and everything like that. And then you get out and you gotta, um, you know, put on a new uniform, boots, whatever, just to freeze you out, I guess. But I still remember back then when I was like 20 years old, when I, when I took all my clothes off and I was just standing there naked, it was actually felt great, like warm, even though it was 20 degrees out, but you know, you weren't, you didn't have like cold clothes. You weren't actually in the water. So it's actually a great feeling just standing on the beach after you do the plunge. So lake water, was that like way colder than the ocean? Do you remember like how that? It was probably like this. Oh, actually, no, it wasn't as cold as the ocean, but the air was colder, yeah. but I still felt really warm just being naked. So it's a nice sensation. I mean, we were stood on the beach and bullshit for like 15 minutes you know just wearing swim trunks of course if it was like a 10 degree day it would have been a different story but I think the initial feeling is like oh yeah that's great let's go to a lake we'll have to come back when it's like an actual cold January 1st well just so we get the full experience you know you know I think it was great like Further thought, what made it really great was skipping the line. First thinking you had to be in the line, realizing you don't, and then getting in there so we know what to do next time around. Yeah. I still want to know what they were uh, waiting in line for. Like, is it a certificate or a free t-shirt? What do you get? That would make you wait for a couple hours on New Year's Day to do what you can do for free, 100 yards to the left. Yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to think of something to equate it to but there's not. Like, if you were waiting in line to ride the Cyclone, there's not, like, another free Cyclone with no one on it right next door. <laughs> so, it really is, like, people wait in line a couple hours to go into the ocean when you have miles of ocean to either side that you can just go in. I guess you where, the, the NYPD, like, boat right there. Yeah, I think a lot of people plan to be, you know, rescued by the police. And so they want to be in the right stretch. Uh, even though nobody goes in past, like, shoulder height anyway. You just walk out of the ocean. So, <clears throat> I figure we have to uh, introduce the episode. Because 
naturally we'll cut that in after this, right? Right. Okay. So we like doing movie episodes. We're both movie guys, I guess. We did a non-military movie, but one that everybody has seen. So we talked about The Big Lebowski. Actually, Chase and I talked about The Big Lebowski. I think, Ben, you lobbed in some commentary that was... uh, Hopefully edited out. (laughs) Good thing I get to look at it and cut it out if if it's still there. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. It's something that I think uh, it's just enjoyable to do. We don't... We kind of, like, write our own rules for the podcast so we can pepper these in at one time or another. Uh, It doesn't always have to be Chase, although I love the guy and he's a great co-host and guest. Uh, His third time on the podcast, first third-timer. He'll probably be leading in that department just because we like him so much. But, you know, we come across another movie like I think one of the more underrated recent war movies has got to be Fury. Naturally, I think we want to bring Avi in to talk about what it's like being part of a tank crew since half the movie takes place inside the tank. So I think that'll be interesting. But, you know, if we... I don't think we're going to watch, like, Lone Survivor and talk to Josh about it. Um, Because, you know, we like to watch movies that are actually good. But, uh, you know, we can do... And it doesn't have to be a military movie like The Big Lebowski. Like, one I want to do is Unforgiven is one of the best westerns ever. It's tough though because we still need to do Top Gun too. We do. We reached out to Jim. We'll hopefully get in touch with him soon and do it. I haven't seen Top Gun two yet, but every airplane I've been on in the last like six months, the person next to me is watching it on their iPad. I feel like I got the gist of it. Nineteen seventeen. That's a great one. I don't know if we have any World War One vets we could bring in for that. Probably not. Probably not. No. <laughs> okay. Do you remember any part of the Lebowski uh, episode? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Surprising. The beginning. What else do we have to talk about? I think that's it. We just gotta get, get going on that. Yeah. Okay. We hope you enjoy our conversation with uh, Chase and join us in 2023. Thanks for listening. Are you just using your cell phone or what? Yeah, that's all I got. (laughs) Do you own a computer? No, no. My wife has one, but uh, it's horrible. We tried to type up like an affidavit on it and it died, dude, which is like literally a paragraph. Sorry, sorry if I don't know what an affidavit is. Oh, it's like, uh, so I'm married to a... Is that like a legal thing? Yeah, I'm married to like a foreigner. So you have to have like somebody say uh, that our marriage is real, you know? And uh, so it's like you have to have everybody say like, it's weird. Like, oh, this is when they started dating. I've seen them hanging around each other. They, uh, they really love each other, such and such, all this stuff. And then it's got to be notarized and sent to the government. Then you pay them 500 bucks and then they're like, all right, we can... We can go with this. <laughs> it's crazy. That's not the green card. Wow. That's how the green card kicks off. That's the, the first move, apparently. Later is the interview and everything, and then we got to, like, make out in front of, like, a consular officer. <laughs> and they'll be like, good, it's official. <laughs> so how was your wedding? It was, or it was recent? Yeah, it was awesome. Um, we did a justice of peace marriage down here in Chile. Like, we went in, and the guy, I, I, I was like, 
I was really straining to understand because like Chilean Spanish is like the Japanese of the Spanish world. It's like the hardest one to understand. And so I kind of gleaned from it. I was like, okay, this is going to be like a 10-minute thing. But then they stuffed us back into this room and it was like 40 minutes sweating my balls off. Huge picture of the president. Like it was everything I was actually hoping for. And it was nice, man. It was a good ceremony. And then uh, nice. then we took off on a honeymoon to uh, a magical island in the south that is uh, – like it's like going to Ireland in January. It's freezing fucking cold. Tons of rain. <laughs> but it's like supposed to be like a romantic getaway. <laughs> you had a good price. Oh, dude. <laughs> the only ones walking around there. Got there on a fishing boat. Oh, dude. <laughs> I'm telling you. Walk around the dead. Nobody, except for, like, the uh, the locals. And um, the whole place is, like, um, think of it like all the Chilean mythologies are packed into this one island, right? And so I was trying to break the ice with the locals, and I was like, hey, have you ever seen a, a Trauco? A Trauco is, like, their little, almost like a leprechaun character. That's what I thought going into it. Dude, this lady was like, no, we don't talk about Trauco. Trauco is actually an evil spirit that can jump into the mind of men and it makes them kill children and uh, beat their wives and kill them. And I'm like, oh, okay. This is very different from Big Bigfoot. You're like, surprise me, he's here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but the fucked up part is like, for such a malevolent creature, all of his depictions all over the island are like the Lucky Charms dude, except without feet. <laughs> he doesn't have feet. He's just got legs that go into stumps. And so I was like, just running up. I was like, this guy can't be all that bad. And then I tried to, you know, mull it over by explaining to her what Bigfoot was. And that was, I didn't build any bridges there. But that yeah, was good. Yeah. All in all, now, uh, Matt, how you been? No new kids. No, no getting married abroad. Uh, I guess it's not abroad yeah, for you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. If you, uh, unless you got plans to return. Oh, yeah, actually I do. I do. This city, this city oh, yeah. is like, uh, it's slowly becoming like the Judge Dredd city. So we have like this new crime group called. Uh... So you live on the hundredth floor <laughs> of. Uh... Dude, I'm not kidding you. It's like a stinky. I'm not rise. kidding you. They have ghettos here, but they are just towers and they're called verticals. And they are like 40, 50 stories. And then they build them one next to each other. And so whoever gets screwed over that's in the middle never sees the sunlight. And it's, like, dangerous to go out in the street because there's all sorts of, like, different gangs and everything. We have, like, Haitian gangs, Colombian gangs, Venezuelan gangs, Chilean gangs. And then we have this new gang, which is exactly, like, straight out of Judge Dredd, which I was reading up on. And they're called a mega banda. And what it is is, like, <laughs> kids are not. It's the greatest. <laughs> they're, like, all these, like, really skinny Venezuelan dudes. It starts, like, a, a rolling kind of uh, – like a like a snowball that turns into an avalanche or whatever. It starts with a skinny little Venezuelan man that's like a criminal in Venezuela, and he goes to jail. And then he makes a bunch of Venezuelan criminal friends, and then he gets kicked out to Colombia. And then he gets stuck in their jail. And they keep moving down and gaining more steam and forming a mega band with connections all the way from Colombia, Peru, Bolivia, Brazil, finally ending in the most profitable land, which is Chile, northern Chile. And, dude, these guys, all they do is just, like, they are the all the colors of that rainbow of all, like, the, uh, it's like a, it's literally like a fucking Batman gang. 
like the criminals that he goes up against. It's like all these different dudes and they wear soccer jerseys and just like shoot up the place. And uh, do they get in a lot of fights when people laugh at the term? Mega Man? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I think they got, they're like, dude, it's uh yeah. Chili's cool. I like chili, but living in Santiago, um, it's tiring. It's tiresome. Yeah. Yeah, kind of not too great. But we're thinking about going back to the U.S. I think like a year or something. Well, taking our time. Makes me think of uh, La Hermandad from uh, Man on Fire. <laughs> when Denzel meets the when Denzel meets the guy, he goes, "You know La Hermandad? I'm the president of La Hermandad." And Denzel goes, "Oh wow, the president? The president? Wow!" <laughs> Mocking him. He starts cutting his fingers off. I gotta say, though, that last scene, though, that is the weirdest exchange. He's like, all right, a life for a life. He's like, all right, I'm gonna send a little girl over and is gonna be reunited with this, like, train wreck chick. And then me, I'm like the only one that can protect you. I'm gonna go get executed. Why didn't they just, why didn't the cartel just drive across back over and be like, all right, now we're gonna scoop you two up? (laughs) Because <laughs> we got plans for you, like it was the crazy. <laughs> maybe he had a, maybe maybe he got some QRF from uh, Christopher Walken uh, yeah, or something. That was you know? weird. That yeah. Did you, you yeah. See He's see. like, you kissed my wife, Chris, Chrissy Bear. Chris, my wife. That was the weirdest interaction between two dudes. That movie. Have you seen it? It, it uh, recently. It it doesn't hold up as well as I was hoping it would. I love that movie. Like fifteen years ago. I well, I like the idea time. of. It's a re- it's a remake of like an old Italian movie, I think. I did not know that. Yeah. All right, Ben, you start taking us into it. Why are we talking about the Big Lebowski today? Because last year we talked about a military movie on a military podcast, but this time we just are talking about one of everybody's favorite movies. Well, now we have a film with a, a veteran in it. I definitely want to talk a lot about Walter. He's probably the best part of this movie. Yeah, honestly. certainly. For sure. But first, I wanted to start off by asking each of you, what makes a man? <laughs> a carpet. <laughs> the music makes a man. In this film, I got to say, that was my takeaway. But I can go on that later. I'm sorry. I don't, I, uh, how you guys want to, I'm, I'm rusty in the saddle. Now I get to speak English. It's wonderful. I've been speaking Spanish for the last, like, six months now. <laughs> so, hold on. What exactly do you want to go and just kick off just from the beginning of the movie and just go through? Or how do you want to? Well, I, had, uh, I had a couple major themes. Yeah. I just want to, like, talk, you know, we don't have yeah. to go end to end. Uh, the, the assumption is that people listening to this have seen The Big Lebowski. Otherwise, they just like listening to an hour and a half of something they True. fucking don't even yeah. know about. We're just going to have our own hot takes. Gotcha. Um, so we put a poll up on our uh, social media and this won out by like over 50%. Did Das, da, das Boot uh, came in at zero still? <laughs> das Boot did Fuck. not come in at zero. So whoever <laughs> voted on Das Boot will get you back. <laughs> I was the only one that voted Das Boot. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> I think, what did I, what did I think it was going to have a chance? I don't know, platoon or something, but I think it's probably too much like apocalypse yeah. now. I like, you know, I like getting to talk about this because it's one of those. Oh, I thought Starship Troopers was going to win. Actually, oh my if God. we had more Marines listening, they would they would get all hard yeah. over that. 
Um, and if we had more SF guys, they would say 300 because they can't get enough of the male bodies. <laughs> but uh, everybody has, there's just nobody that you've ever worked with that hasn't seen it, right? Or nobody who you really like, I don't know, get along well with who just hasn't seen this movie. I don't know. I don't know if that's too exclusionary. But I've probably seen it about I don't know yeah. thirty times. Yes, I've seen. It I was trying to write down like some of my favorite quotes, but since I can just like talk over ninety percent of the dialogue anyway, that like that's even impossible. Yeah, yeah. So what what is your own like personal relationship with the movie? I could tell you I saw it. I saw it the first time. It was probably like two thousand five. Uh, and I was, I was in the SF course and I was at my couple buddies house. It's funny. Cause one of them is like the dude and one of them is like Walter. <laughs> one of them is just like cool and laid back. And one is always raging. Then we used to like on Sundays, we would, uh, we would mix up some white Russians, sit down and watch the big Lebowski like every week. And I, you know, it just like, it's, it's committed to memory for the rest of my life. And I still, I think Name a more rewatchable movie other than maybe Shawshank, but that's only because it's on TNT for the past 30 years straight. Yeah, I saw it when I was first in my like early 20s, probably around that time, like 2006, 2007, after I got wounded. I saw it at some point when I got out right super fast out of the hospital, and um, everything was kind of a, a blur during that period, so I didn't really soak it up, but I could appreciate it for its superficial tones of what I enjoyed, you know. Um, and then I would continue to like rewatch it every few years, and I would pick up more and more on all the other, all the other themes and notes to it. And then it's like in these final last few weeks where I've watched it like four times to really pick over its like carcass, and I was like, okay, there is a little bit of genius here. I like that. Like, there is something here that's uh, that I've totally missed and and uh yeah man and it is extremely rewatchable it's incredible but it doesn't um but it works really for i think like at a well i would say like an american audience watching my wife she was like i don't really get this (laughs) (laughs) that's not hard to believe i think it's just because it fits so much into different generations that that we learned about or actually we've been like we've experienced to some extent you know these are our our parents and these are early childhoods going into the this movie came out in 1998 so this this film was right before another giant shift in like another giant metamorphosis in the american kind of uh landscape and what we would become and how we would change. Well, I think it's it's set like during yeah. the Iraq War because you get George H. W. Bush talking in the beginning on the TV, and you're right because it's well, it came out right before or right as the internet was kind of like hitting the mainstream. People probably had AOL and Netscape and stuff, but before the dot com like boom and bust. But it's set in a place you know that's only like less than ten years before it was released. <clears throat> And it has like callbacks to this era where there's a bunch of like neon signs and they're California and it's kind of like looks like what the future would have looked like to people in the 60s. Some of the music is just like 
old school or, or kind of like, you know, country Western, but still it's kind of like, it's even for the time it's shot, they kind of like harken back to a prior time. Walter with the war, they were talking about old film, what they used to do. Yeah. I mean, it opens like a Western with tumbleweed. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and <laughs> Sam Elliott, tumbleweed. Like, Speaking over on narrating, so I mean, it has. I mean, that's he's one of the yeah, he's one of the biggest bona fides in the the Western genre. So it opens. It's got kind of a, a film yeah. noir Western. Yeah, I think that kind of sums it up. Yeah. Are you guys Coen Brothers fans? Like specific? Or <sighs> I like uh, a Fargo was my first. Yeah, I Fargo. Am. I am. I like Fargo. Um, Blood Simple. Blood fucking simple. Great, great film. You know, I... And they always, they always fuck with the genre. I haven't seen Blood Simple, but everybody tells me that's the best, because I start with Raising Arizona. Oh, another. I mean, come on. Amazing. And then, uh... My top two other than... My top three, obviously, two other than Lebowski would be True Grit and then A Serious Man. I don't think many people have seen no. the second, but True Grit, the remake, is fantastic. It's yeah, got True Grit rocked. Uh, Serious Man's one's with the rabbi, right? Uh, the guy, Jewish I don't fella. think, is a okay. rabbi. He's yeah, just Jewish. I've seen the preview for that, trailer for that. I haven't seen it. It's good. Yeah. Hell yeah. It, yeah, it's kind of like, uh, like the Book oh, of Job. Cool. Like, God treats this guy like shit and just sends everything after him and then it's like just him dealing with everything one after another yeah it's a good movie the guy who stars in it has actually plays uh richard sackler in uh dope sick on the new hulu series oh no shit ah uh, yeah 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 dude that movie uh that, that, yeah. i i imagine that movie like i like movies like that to create like stress a stress response in me and mm-hmm. uh like like yeah, like a, uncut, yeah, gems. uncut gems, training day. These movies are like perfect for getting you kind of spun up. And uh, yeah, I'll check that one out. Yeah, no, huge. I like Owen Brothers. Owen yeah. awesome, and they do. Uh, I think they do some series as well, but I'm not certain. So I, yeah, I called out a few, or I wrote down a few themes, and uh, I can dive into those unless you had another format you wanted to follow. No, man, I've got a ton of ton of just like things written down scribbled down i'll just go along i'll just riff with it well i think the dude probably collects royalties from like shows that he wrote and barely gets by because he was like a wasn't he like a screenwriter or show writer or something like that what i took from it yeah what i took from it is that was the beauty of it well, he said, he said he was the part of the uh, ah, something seven. Ah, so it was uh, the guys, Seattle right? seven is right. Did my homework, baby. The Port Huron statement is uh, it's a political manifesto. He's really talking about a lot of uh, American uh, student activist movements. The Seattle seven was um, was uh, seven uh, kids that were charged with uh, conspiracy to riot or to kick off a riot. In, um, in Seattle on some courthouse steps. Um, they were anti-war, anti-Vietnam War activists. And so all the stuff he was doing, like the pillow talk with Maude, was like pretty much just like his loose association with, with just like pretty much like idealist student activism in his college days. This is a guy kind of like um, 
this was back when he had that kind of fire and energy to get into these things. And now what you're seeing in like when he's laying there and her reaction is kind of like this guy who's kind of this is his um, this is him fading out, you know, and he's this is what happens when all those things just kind of don't come to fruition. And he's just <laughs> now just riding off those glory days. That's interesting because uh, when he meets Brent, which we can yeah. talk about Brent if we want, he says that, you know, he did go to college, but he spent his time occupying various administration buildings. And it sounds like he was just, you know, like a, like an activist, but didn't yeah. really give a shit. Just kind of like sat around and, oh, okay, you know, I don't have to go to class if I join this protest here. And then, you know, you can imagine someone with very little conviction like that just kind of washes out. And now he probably has either royalties or an insurance settlement that's paying for his rent and his bowling ball and like <laughs> yeah. nothing else. His, his, his 69 cent check <laughs> that he writes for some half and half. And weirdly enough, Ralph's. people say it's like a conspiracy thing on September 11th. I think it was dated for September 11th. Very oh. odd. The check. Yes. Oh, his check? Uh, oh, nice. It's going to get the people on the dark web wow. chatting. Oh, oh God. I'm sure they yeah, already it have. must be well covered. But like this movie has so much uh, packed into it that is touching on um, workers' rights, a lot of socialist concepts, but not moving towards full-on communism. It's kind of threading the needle between it's, I, I, it's got a, uh, an ideal – it's, you know, this grassroots civil disobedience um, and power to the people stuff because that's what Credence Clearwater even is. Credence Clearwater was that, was that musical group that went against – all the real psychedelic 60s hippie movement because they weren't doing all the romantic mm. stuff. So, I mean, like, everything this guy oozes was somebody that was actually, like, he's a bit of a fighter back in the day, the dude. But then that's, um, yeah, the dude had had the fire at one time, I feel like. And then uh, where that went, huh. at what point, what extinguished that, I think the Eagles had a part of that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think like, uh, you know, I think as far as like veterans, though, that uh, follow the path of the dude, that is a very tough path to follow, I think, as far as like, you know, you have to, uh, I think you have to have a lot of self-discipline built into there, you know, because there's a lot of people that I've seen that are on pensions, yeah. you know, and they, um, without having some sort of structure, something uh to give shape to their to their lifestyles they uh fall into to total wrecks you know i'm interested in what you brought up about the dude because if you take like the 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 movie and it's like current time i think the trade-off between or the difference between the dude and walter is like some you know taoism definitely on the dude side and then uh Walter is like purely deontological where the dude, he's like lazy, but he doesn't say no to things. You know, he's like, yeah. be water. If, if water's in a glass, it's the yeah. glass. If water, you know, um, and, and like, I don't know. It's funny. There's a scene where he gets out of one limo. Someone <laughs> grabs him, throws him in another limo. 
and he's just always he's always drinking a white Russian at like whoever's <laughs> place he's at. Yeah, he makes himself at home in every every environment that he takes on. Everyone from Jackie, Jackie Treehorn's house to uh, to yeah to any sort of place he's he's uh, shoved into and pushed around to. And the only thing that ties it together is that that rug, that rug ties together his whole story, you know. But this is a guy who can kind of uh, he can make it anywhere, you know. But he is that down. I also put took down a note that's. I just thought, you know, was funny and we probably all know, but sometimes you just get laid when you're not trying at all. <laughs> right? And that and that is what happens to the dude. Yeah. Like, you know, near the end of the movie. But I, I'll just go back to like he's he's just lazy, but he doesn't say no. He's just wherever. Um and he just takes a ride on this adventure, which it it like has no real meaning. I mean, you can argue that, like, the rug itself is like a MacGuffin. Uh, it's the central purpose of the story. And then, and then you know, the rug leads him to Bunny's disappearance. And then that leads him to the Nihilists. And it leads him to Maud. And, and he's just kind of, like, on this, like, train. And he doesn't really know why or what. He tries to start outsmarting people. And then he does. He like he realizes that he can't. <laughs> so, he's, you know, when he and Walter sit down and like, you know, she kidnapped herself. And then he's like, who, you look at who who can benefit. And then I think it kind of culminates when he like, uh, I, I don't know, when he when he draws on Jackie Treehorn's pad and it's just a <laughs> dick. And he's like, yeah, you know what? I'm gonna try. I'm gonna stop trying to get to the bottom of this and then there's no like there's really like no conclusion to the story she just appears at the end she's back and after that they fight the nihilist and then it's just back to bowling it's like nothing actually happened and, and i mean donnie died it actually makes me think of the scene from seinfeld where like george gets a task to work you know, at work and he doesn't do it and then it just goes away ah like there's no conclusion to the story. I think there was a conclusion. If I may, uh, I'll throw this again. I'll see what sticks. All right. So I think with the dude is is somewhat of a representation of the the twilight years, the 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 curtains closing on the '60s. This is the end of that. This is that movement. You know, the bombs lost. Get a job, sir. You know, and this is. That kind of um, Lebowski, the the, the chair-ridden Lebowski, um, he is this incoming new movement of uh, the 80s and 90s that are are um, leaving everything from the 60s and dust. All that peace, love, and everything like that. The old man is the yes. new coming? Yes. I believe he is what the Coen brothers, um, that is their interpretation of uh, yuppies, and the rich and powerful class uh, that we would see uh, now further morphing into the 2000s, everything like that. But but in the, in the 90s, but the, but what they are is is ineffectual and vain and weak, and also not really. They don't really actually have the money. They don't actually have the the power. I mean, all those things he goes, you know, and this is him with the little Bowski achievers, and this is all of his various. And he met with Nancy fucking Reagan, all this stuff like that. But all this stuff was just fluff, 
just to show off to this guy. But in the end, like who had all the money was Maud. Maud had all the cash. And who got defunded? The Little Bowski Achievers. That's the only ones that lost cash in this whole thing. So you have like the uh, when all that money exchanged to like to to screw over uh, to do the the money. It was all the the Little Bowskis Achievers money. So like you have, I, I believe, you have the dude representing these Twilight years. You got the the chair ridden Lebowski, like the kind of I don't know if it was a, well Dick Cheney wasn't around. He was a CIA director at the time, but he wasn't in a chair yet. And then um, <laughs> I hope he's going to kill me for that one. <laughs> Is Dick Cheney in a wheelchair, or you just think they look alike? I, I, dude, it's pretty striking, pretty incredible actually. I think he's. Yeah, right. hopefully that doesn't get around to him. <laughs> and uh, and Walter Subcheck is the rage and bitterness of the dissatisfied Vietnam vets, the people that came back and they were like, "What the hell? Like this is um, there needs to be rules, there needs to be order, there needs to be justice." That's why is it such direct odds with those nihilists? What's mine is mine. I mean, he's willing to fight it out with bowling balls in a in a parking lot over just what's right, you know. And at the risk of at uh, the loss of Donnie, who represents, I believe, innocence. He's so innocent. He drinks he drinks soda all the time when they're all hanging out. He never drinks. I don't think he drinks beer. I still think it's a little more chaotic than that. Yeah. I, I like your representation of like the post-war Vietnam vet in kind of searching for rules. I want to get in that a little bit more in detail, but I think maybe instead of like the, the modern ushering, uh, you know, a 70 year old guy in a wheelchair ushering in the modern age, I would say maybe the, the big Lebowski is maybe like, uh, like your, the establishment kind of that rode through the sixties or, the, I think they're the people who are always looking to, uh, you know, kind of hold the status quo or, you know, they, they put up an appearance. Like if you have a bunch of pictures of you meeting famous people, it means you're an achiever. <laughs> he uses that word achieves. Like he, he calls the scholarship the little urban achievers. He goes, you know, this was perpetrated by men who failed to achieve. <laughs> you know, it's like achievement is his most important uh, trait. Um, but I still just think everybody's full of shit. Like he, another big Lebowski quote. I love it. He goes, I didn't blame anyone for the loss of my legs. Some Chinaman (laughs) took them from me. And it's like, huh? Well, you just blamed someone, um, (laughs) in the same breath, but everybody's just full of shit. Like at the end, Walter, Walter's going, yeah, as if we would even dream about stealing your bullshit money. It's like, that's exactly what they were trying to do. (laughs) Nobody knows anything. There's a, there's a separate private detective following the dude around who doesn't know anything. That's great. They should make her home. There's like, there's no (laughs) conclusiveness from any part of the story until the end. And it's like, Oh, bunny just like disappeared on her own. And, went on vacation <laughs> yeah. i like when he shows the photo he goes this should make her hopefully homesick <laughs> more at more at minnesota <laughs> yeah it's like a yeah. barren plane yeah. in minnesota oh, Christ. i was always curious what um w- about brent why did you pick up on this why did he re- 
repeat that line without the necessary means, necessary means. Do you ever understand why he repeated himself when he was doing his little presentation? Do you pick up that? I know this might be completely, I'm reading way too into it. But when he was giving his little presentation of showing the wall, he, he repeats yeah. uh, a line twice. Really? It's very weird. Yeah. I think it was maybe because he's just like a flustered, nervous character. And just being around the dude makes him very uncomfortable. He plays like a oh, great yeah. uptight, just. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, how much does he get paid to just, you know, be, who is he? Like, the big Lebowski's He's like, his, he's like a Smithers, like, his little, his little, uh, God, we have tons of those people running around D.C. We call them lanyards. <laughs> I like when Bunny says Brent can't watch her, he has to pay a hundred. Just like his... His reaction is just golden. Like he, he like draws back and he just got like that big toothy grin and he absolutely doesn't know how to react. And then he's like the just the awkwardness pours out of his face. And and then in contrast, Lebowski, or in contrast the dude, he goes, I'm gonna go find the cash machine. Yeah. Which character go would ahead. you uh relate to the most that you'd say i don't know i mean i i, I don't want to just say like walter by default or because i like him so much but i don't know probably yeah. walter say donnie not not a hundred percent but if i had to fit myself into anyone yeah. you say donnie i feel like <laughs> i like you're always you're always like like two sentences behind in conversation. He well, he's he's trying to figure things out, but he's 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 never getting an answer at times. So he's always just trying to keep up, and they're always just like, "Just shut the fuck up, <laughs> just hang back and listen." <laughs> but he is also like in his own in those his own way, um, also kind of like feeding into this kind of this this Taoist. I mean, he is like this peaceful Zen like little character that. Uh, I think he's just happy yeah. to be around. Yeah. He's like the neighborhood kid that, you know, he's just there. Yeah. yeah. But he likes being there. You might not even notice him, but he doesn't cause any trouble. So Going you just like breeze. having him around. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, did you read up anything about how, why uh, the Eagles were kind of marked out as being like uh, so hated? I had no idea, but the, the, the musical, the guy no. who did all the score for the, the movie he hated the mm. Eagles. So he just fit that in there. Mm. But furthermore, the Eagles were always considered the kind of swan song, the, the death knell, the ending of the 60s hippie generation. That was the, that was the easy, easy, like the biggest blockbuster, easy listening band to cater to the boomer market when they hit the scene. Because gone was like any sort of messages of political activism or um, psychedelic rock or anything that was kind of counterculture. This was something that was considered like this was the shift once the Eagles showed up. Hmm. And so the Eagles just kind of. So that's why that's why dude the dude hates them. Because they, us they ushered yeah, out. They're opposite of CCR. CCR is like. They, they too were like, they weren't into like, they weren't like uh, psychedelic. They were more about like the working class. They were about um, mm -hmm. kind of the experience of the American, com the American man 
common man experience and uh, anti-war. And so, like, uh, these two yeah. would, like, butt heads, the Eagles and CCR, so to speak, with their messaging. And so uh, I think that's why that was set up there. And also, like, uh, the, the Jesus listening to Hotel California in Spanish. <laughs> yeah, I actually, I never, I guess I didn't make that connection. I obviously know who sings original Hotel California, but I didn't make that connection until right now. I was, I was listening to you talk about it. But, uh, well, that version is by a band called Gypsy yeah. Kings, which if you've never listened to, like, Gypsy Kings top hits, it is uh, it's something yeah, to behold. Right. Yeah, it's like a it's it's like they're they're it's like a Spanish band from like the Spanish mountains. <laughs> what mountain range is that between Pyrenees. Spain and oh, France? No, maybe. Yeah, God, I hope so. <laughs> ben is nodding his head. I guarantee Shit. it's not the Pyrenees mountains. It's not, but it sounds good. It the sounds Basque, smart. They live there. <laughs> God, tell me it's Pyrenees. Uh, the Cantabrian? Ah, dude, that was my no, second choice. <laughs> the Fuck Pyrenees, yes. yeah. Oh, it is the Pyrenees. <laughs> oh, nice. My TBI so rating dog? has been lowered. <laughs> Shit. God fucking damn it. <laughs> I'm in Cantabrian. <laughs> Where am I? Get me my bathrobe. Medication time. <laughs> uh. Oh, it's great. Listen to Gypsy Kings. Oh, dude, I heard them a lot down in Mexico. Uh, when I was in Mexico, it was really popular. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to talk about the Jesus scene? You know, dude, I I would, but I don't really understand. And this is where I was drawing a blank. I was thinking about this and meditating and walking around and thinking, thinking. I didn't really understand what is the Jesus meant to represent? Why is he such an antagonist against uh, so, the dude? And what his way of life is. I mean, I understand that he's like, uh, he's a pervert and he's kind of des- dressed in his disco <laughs> attire. So maybe he is kind of this ushering in of like 70s perversion. I don't know. It's a stretch, but I didn't really. Well, he does wear a, one- yes. a purple onesie. Yeah. So I, with a belt. I was getting kind of pretty, uh, pretty Saturday sick. Night Fever vibes there, but I didn't really know what to make of it exactly. What, what, uh, that was meant to say. I think it's a reminder that there's a world outside the story that we're in. Because, you know, he talks back to Walter. (laughs) He says, you flash a piece on the lanes, I'll stick it up your ass and pull the trigger until it goes click. He just kind of like, Walter just kind of stares him down. But I think like, you know, there's, like they're competing against him, you know. Liam and me, man, we're going to fuck you up. And I just I just think it's like a reminder that there's this whole other world out there. And we're just following like one very narrow storyline that's like completely absurd. Here's this other yeah. absurd character reminding you. It's it's almost like kind of like splashing a little cold water in your face. And then you get back into the story. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. No, it's kind of like, uh, what is that thing? A sorbet. Yeah. It kind of clears the palate. <laughs> And I'm also laughing because Steve and I were one time in a bar in White Plains, New York, and we ran into a morbidly obese Puerto Rican version of that. For some reason, we had some sort of issue with the bar, and he got into it with Steve and made some sort of threat about how he was like this heavyweight 
cocaine kingpin of White Plains and gave this like this little tough guy intro. And Steve was just like not impressed. I was like, so I guess these characters, I mean, they exist. <laughs> was he wearing like a purple I think he was wearing and dog tags. And that's what really kicked it off between him and Steve because Steve is not a, he doesn't like that stolen valor shit. Steve will not suffer <laughs> under dog tags. Doesn't every rapper have like fake yeah, dog tags? Down here, everybody, all of them. It's huge. I'm telling you. Can you imagine if it was like a? Oh yeah, really? I thought that was like an old thing. Like in the '90s, people would wear like fake dog we're tags. Right and now, like white Chile, we're going through kind of the the 2000s. So we're right now we're just on the heels of what things are going on in going on up uh, in the northern hemisphere. So, like, down here, like, SUVs are really big, um, big bots and stuff, and, like, I don't know. Everything is, like, a little bit back. We're behind the curve. Cornbread. Yeah. Cornbread blew their mind. And they have so many corn-based dishes here. So, I was like, you guys never picked up on this? You add flour? Fucking sugar? Bake it? They were like, no, I never thought about that. <laughs> Crazy. You're a wild man, what you do. <laughs> But yeah, the Jesus, the Jesus. Yeah, that would make sense. I think that's what the. You know, his bowling partner, I think, is like a real like professional bar. Liam. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did. I also just love the opening scene when everybody they just like pan down the lanes and everybody is throwing their ball. Like just everybody looks so different. You know, it's like. You know, there's a fat guy, there's chick, there's an old guy, there's whatever. And everyone's there because they like bowling, but, like, they couldn't be more different in their presentation. Yeah, and, and bowling is, like, one of the most – and I don't mean this in a disparaging way, but it is, like, beautifully Sisyphean in the way you just do the same repetitive things. They set up the pins, you knock them down. Set up the pins, you knock them down. Of any – yeah. It's like of darts. any Of all those kind of sports, that is the one that seems like the most just um, – pointless and kind of but but it is like a beautiful thing because like just you're just like everyone is humping away at it as well you know maybe like the 100 meter dash oh, i used to suck so much in track and field i did that to like i thought that would prepare me for the marines and like it was so embarrassing because i was slow so everybody would clap it out when i'd be coming across the line and be like in my head i'm like i'm not doing this for you so when when the dude is lying on his floor listening to the bowling match on tape, like I, this time around, I thought about it. Which, by the way, I've seen this movie so many times, I almost forgot to watch it before this episode because I just didn't feel like I needed to, but I did. And this time around, I thought like, could I just listen to like a uh, like background noise of like bowling? I probably could. Like next time I'm on a plane. I'm just going to download background noise of, like, a bowling match and go to sleep. Please don't. Well, that would fit in there. They have a whole, like, genre of, like, going to sleep, relaxing noises, creaky creaky bookcase in an old library with rain. Yeah, all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, dude. I can see bowling that. Whale noises. Remember when he was... (laughs) Somebody eating an apple. But, you know, the dude started it. Was the dude listening to whale noises, too? It was that. That was. Later. But it was all about that league. It was the league. <laughs> I think it was. there was a few times he was uh, 
tuning out to different ASMR scenes. I think he had whale noises in the tub before the Nihilus show up and threw a, uh, a marmot. <laughs> I can't see someone wearing marmot clothing and, and not say nice marmot. Malibu. We talked about the dude being... What? I mean, I'm sorry. I was jumping the Malibu. Oh, get your if fucking freaking ass out of my wonderful <laughs> beach community. Yeah, there's, there's a lot. To there's a quiet there. beach community. Meanwhile, there's like a Caligula orgy going on in the beach. We like to keep it quiet around here. <laughs> Get the hell out of here. What does he say? Jackie Treehorn draws a lot of what? You don't draw shit? Is this your only identification? It's a Ralph Club card? <laughs> but there was like two interesting critiques there. Maybe I'm, maybe I get a... I'm reading into it too much, but he has like two forms of police officer depictions. One is like the ineffectual or semi-ineffectual LAPD where they're like, oh, yeah, we got the guys working in shifts down at the crime lab. And they're just like (laughs) – they get his car back and it's just like like destroyed. And they're like, but don't worry. The CCR was safe. And it's almost like to say, like, your shit has no value. Like, this thing that you hold is your, what's important to the dude, CCR, smoking weed, bowling, his buddies. These things, that one of those things in the CCR tape, they're like, ah, don't worry, the CCR is still there. But his car comes back in this devastated state. And uh, the cops are, in that form, they're just kind of like, all right, like, this is, this is just... This is what you. This is what we do. You know, can't really help you. But then the other one, the Malibu cop, just tunes him up in his office. He's like, "Get the fuck out of here!" <laughs> Breaking him off because <laughs> yeah. hits him with a mug in the face. <laughs> yeah, we call it. And later he goes, "Yeah, chief of police in Malibu is <laughs> yeah. a real reactionary." Right. Like he he is. You know, he assigns a, a point on the political spectrum yeah. to the guy. Just based on how he interacts with him, which is probably just him reusing some language right. from yeah. the '60s, yeah, when he was more yeah. of an activist. And this guy's a reactionary man, <laughs> yeah. right? That's why I think like um, I have such a this is like such a scrawled mess. This really does look like the ramblings of like maniac. But uh, <laughs> does. this is going to be put into a plastic bag in front of a quarter. <laughs> What cabin are you in, buddy? I'm on, I'm on the third floor it. in a vertical. Just, just where are you? No, you stay on. You stay on. It's cool. And help, please. I, uh, but I, um, I also did research into. Is uh, we could talk about this later. I know because I don't want to take it too steer too far off. But the versions of the manifestations of the dude now today in different countries. Like such as going goblin mode or the Chinese Taiping movement or Bailan. Have you heard of any of these? God damn it. Oh, damn. Well, I guess we can start with. Is this some oh, of your dude, weird TikTok not, shit? I promise you, this is not on Reddit or anything down into a deep rabbit hole. But. All right. No, can we wrap God, up yeah, with that? Save that for later. Yeah. Okay. All right. When you when you talk about the dude's car, can we just can we just talk about what happens to this thing? It gets shot by Walter's Uzi, then he crashes it, then it gets stolen, then it gets peed in, 
Then he's driving away. He tries to flick a roach out the window, <laughs> yes. and he crashes it himself. <laughs> and at the and by the end of the movie, the nihilist set it on fire, and it's just completely done. So the dude's car takes a beating. But what what I remember is Walter after the first incident. They're bowling, and you know Donnie's there, and Walter goes, "Yeah, it's all right. Dude's car got a little dinged up." <laughs> And like they just missed a drop of a of a million dollars. Walter just rolled out of the car with an Uzi that started going off on the highway, and and like the dude wrecked his car. He goes, "Yeah, it's, it's okay." Dude's car got all dinged up, and it just made me think about what times have you seen just something absolutely extreme go down, and then the guy who's right in the middle of it or the people were like, oh, yeah, got a little hairy, but, you know, we're good now. Like, it actually makes me think of uh, I saw what could have been, like, a really ugly, like, skydiving accident. (laughs) And the guy who it was was just, like, walking off the drop zone. I was like, hey, man, how was your jump? He's like... Uh, you know, not my best, but like, uh, I don't know, I think it went okay. And then I saw the video and I was like, bro, you should be dead right now. <laughs> like, I also think about like, you know, it happens in combat. Maybe that's why Walter is like that because he's probably had days in Nam where he most definitely should be dead. And then he's just, you know, like back at the base. And he's like, yeah, I got yeah, a lot of area the, out I there. I think Walter has kind of seen it all. I mean, his nonchalant cavalier attitude to like being able to get a toe and all of these sort of things. There's nothing, there's no conspiracy, nothing that will phase him. This is a guy that doesn't get like rocked. He's like a stump. Yeah, right. Doesn't he own, he like owns a pawn shop? security services. Surplus store? He's kind of a jack of all trade. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because he's wearing his jungle boots and his photojournalist vest. He's fucking great. I uh, I wanted to talk about Walter a little more. And at the beginning, I said that I thought that the dude was pretty, like, Taoist. And Walter is, like, extremely deontological. He's always looking for a system and rules to operate in, right? And when he doesn't find it, he becomes, like, yeah. indignant. So he, you know, he had a system in the military, you know, probably enjoyed it. He converted to uh, Judaism when he met his wife. He still follows Shabbos, even though they're divorced. But he likes the rules that kind of like keep the world in order for him. Um, he uh, like he, he's, he says, you know, hey, with no hostage, there's no ransom. Like that's the rules. He's into the rules about which after that he goes, who's the fucking nihilist now? To cry babies. You know, he pulls his gun out, uh, you know, uh, at bowling because bowling has rules. And it's like a very easy way for him to, like, live life because the rules are written for him. And all he has to do is operate within whatever, like, system he's constructed. And, like, that's what gives him comfort, I think, which is, like, way, you know, it's not dissimilar from the way a lot of vets live their lives and how they thrived when they were in they understood the system yeah and then and then there is obviously going to be 
extreme disappointment and rage when that doesn't that system doesn't fit in neatly and work out. It's like you can you can be the Walter Subcheck or you could be even the dude when you get out of the service, but a good mix between the two is going to is probably going to make you the most successful because I mean at the end of the day you are left with those two kind of yin and yang polar opposite belief structures. At the end of the day it's the dude and Walter and and yeah. Donnie was just a unfortunate casualty in the mix because he's kind of the gray man. He didn't really have anything. He was just trying to pick up and learn from, but he's too innocent, too sweet of a boy. And he just got ground up into it. Well, he got, <laughs> got a heart attack. <laughs> yeah. Walter, uh, he's, he's into the first <laughs> amendment too. I forgot to mention that <laughs> Supreme court has roundly rejected prior constraints. And he's like, but he is like the ultimate roll dog though. The dude is very lazy, but like kind of goes along with everything. Walter is always there for him, like at every point. Now he's constantly fucking things up for him, but he's like always there and acting earnestly. And like we're we like we're yeah. handling this together. Yeah. I think that level of loyalty is also part of his persona, from you know, given his yeah. Background. And in the end, they share this kind of like. Uh, tender moment when after Donnie dies and he's covered in there and he looks just kind of like a big dumb oaf and they hug it out and in the end they're like it's kind of like yeah these two are inseparable as a as a as a duo even though they do they do live such on different operating systems <laughs> I love when he's he's when they're at the the big Lebowski's place and he goes you know what, dude? <laughs> this guy fucking walks. I've never seen a lot been of more sure of anything in my life. <laughs> seen, a, seen a lot of spinals. <laughs> he just fucking picks him up and drops him. It's like the, it's a it's a perfect bow on how he's been fucking wrong about absolutely everything the entire movie. <laughs> that he picks up he picks up a paralyzed guy and drops him on the floor. <laughs> I will say, though, that, like, Walter, in the final scene, he is, you know, aside from Donnie dying in, not the final scene, but the fight scene with the nihilists, he absolutely fucking <laughs> yes. cleans house. Like, like, drills a guy with a bowling ball, fights <laughs> yeah. off a guy's ear, you know. The dude is kind of playing patty cakes with the other guy until Walter cleans him out. And then, you know, Donnie, we got a man down because we're getting the choppers in here for you, buddy. But yeah, call a medic. But he I mean, like, I love that scene because it, like that's the one thing where he's like he's absolutely yeah. the realist motherfucker is that when you need to get when you need to bash some skulls. Like, and the nihilists at the end, they just settle for their like, we'll take whatever cash you got. And they're like, we got like 14 bucks between. It's like, fuck that. What's mine is mine. I'll (laughs) throw down on you guys. I'll worry some money getting killed. They've got like a samurai sword and a whole motley collection of nothing to lose because they're nihilists. I mean, at the end of the day, nihilists do represent nothingness. You know, they are, well, but then they say we still want the money, and he goes, "Who's the fucking nihilist now?" I like the scene when they're ordering. Uh, they're at the uh, restaurant. And they're ordering all those 
those things uh, like fruity tootie, fresh and fruities, and all this. Shit. I'm very curious what that was <laughs> meant to say, but <laughs> the lingonberry pancakes. <laughs> I think the I think the girl is trying to order like chicken fingers or something. She can't speak English, and the guy just goes, "I should have the lingonberry pancake." I didn't want to forget. <laughs> I, was I didn't want to forget because the person will go unnamed. But there was a celebrity that visited Bethesda, and I remember he told, he was coaxing one of the my uh, roommates, another patient that was in his bed. He had his legs covered, but in his bed he had he had these external fixators on his legs. He could not get out of bed. There was nothing. It was not going to happen. And the person was like, come on. I bet you could get out of bed. I bet you could take a few steps. I bet you could step right over to me. It was kind of like baby birding him. And I was sitting there going, <laughs> I was like, this person cannot, should not walk. Nurses are like, no, 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 no. Do not do that. <laughs> Snap. Like, if you put your mind to it, you can walk. Like, yeah. bitch, I got scaffolding well, on the well, outside of my please, legs. Ben, if you could edit this out. But that celebrity was... Any guesses? <laughs> what a fucking idiot. Thank you. We'll cut it out. But he was like doing that. Oh I'm like, God. come on, boy. Get out of bed. You could do it. Come on. Come on, Sergeant. He just couldn't see that. I think he just couldn't see that he had the, the guy shit literally on his just legs. mentioned, like, I'm really, you know, like looking forward to getting up and walking again. I was like, bring back the Hooters girl with their <laughs> indigestion wings. Come on. There was one other like major, uh, I guess, theme that I wanted to bring up in the interest of not <laughs> discussing the entire movie front to back, but then you know, interested to what you guys wrote down as well. The dialogue just makes the entire movie. But one thing that you notice is the reused dialogue. So I'm gonna, I'm just gonna rifle through a bunch of stuff. This aggression will not stand. He hears George Bush talking about it at Ralph's, and then he you know, says it to the big Lebowski. Coitus. Maud says it, then he says it right back. Uh, Maud says, your dick or your rod or your Johnson, and then the ah. nihilists say Johnson. Parlance of our time. Abide another toe, and yeah. then the dude abides. Uh, Chinaman, they say a couple times, and then Maud says like a million bones or clams or whatever, and then Walter says million clams, dude. There's so much of the reused dialogue that it's like you actually see. I think it goes back to my early point: is like nobody knows what the hell is going on, and people just kind of like repeat what they hear, and like we do this all the time. It's just like yeah. trying to sound smart, right? It's like a word you saw on Google the other day. You somehow fit it in a conversation yeah, right. later well, on that I afternoon. Think, but everyone's just kind of like learning and regurgitating what they hear, but they actually don't have it. Yeah, exactly. I think it was, um, oh, man. Who did 1984? George Orwell. George Orwell said that like pretty much that is like the state of, of yeah. the English language, that there is like certain sayings and different things that just – pretty much just will go into rotation and regurgitation over and over on tumble cycle until they finally get flung out and replaced by another thing. Hmm. But it's not really like we're not really um, flexing those muscles. But you're, yeah. What are you drinking, another white Russian? Good Lord. Yeah. (laughs) More mint tea for me. There we go. Mm -hmm. Do you drink? Yeah, I occasionally drink, but I I don't drink much. I drink like a glass or two of red wine or beer okay. or two here and there. But I'm like a super lightweight. I'm way out of practice. Mm-hmm. I don't drink too much. 
Which is that? I didn't know because of you know your storyline on the first episode. Yeah, you, had, you know like, people would say like uh, I, I guess in a certain um, circles I would not be considered I wouldn't be quote unquote sober or completely clean because I, I do uh, have a drink here and there, but um, but it never has that effect. It's not like a fucking doing an oxycontin. <laughs> oh, Christ, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Have you seen Have you no. seen that Hulu show? By the way, it's good. If it's not, based off a book, cool, right? But if so, I just finished it. Go sick. I want to check it out. Uh, I'd yeah. like to check it out right yeah, now. On yeah. yeah, good. It's gonna be. It's, it's, well it's gonna be a second it. season, or is, it's already just finished its oh, stars, yeah. Correct. Yeah. Really? No, I think it's good. just a one run miniseries. I could, like I could do that. I can't do these yeah. things where people will say, "Oh man, we're gonna be in it for the long haul." I go. I, I need just like awesome. I'll check it out. The streaming has like cracked the code on it's either six or eight episodes. Beautiful. It's just an eight hour Perfect. movie. Right. Love it. Yeah. Long form movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what are you talking about? My so-called life. I thought you guys said that. I was just like, uh, you've been in my ear while I'm putting down my kid. It's uh, I'm, I'm in a, I'm in a different Kabuki theater over here. <laughs> this is uh, this leads so well into my Hikikimori. <laughs> You guys know what a hikikimori is? A hikikimori is a Japanese no. um, hermit. It's a person who goes into self-exile because they shut themselves off from society because they, they can't keep up or they, they don't wish to participate in the Japanese, to put it simply, like rat race. And so what they do is they, they remain shut-ins and usually there's, there's a hikikimori which can't do anything. So he's like, he just sits in his room, generally a guy, and I think he just, pretty much they just jerk off all day, watch manga, and go online, and they get food slotted through their door by a person who has great shame and doesn't want, you know, their hikikimori uh, ward to die, so they have to do all the work uh, caring for this person, and like, that is kind of, like, if you could say, like, the dude... The dude has somewhat dropped out of um, – he's, he's uh, fallen off and he's, he's what people would consider a slacker. I mean he's the laziest man in California and by that logic, he's probably the laziest man in the world, right? But he still fits <laughs> – but he fits Definitely into in the society running. though. He's got a place, a place in our hearts, a place in society in his own way that um, – He's still, he's still, he has a, he has a place. But the hikikimori, the 21st century representation in Japan, uh, I don't know. I said it like that, Japan, like <laughs> we're, gonna get, like we're gonna storm the beaches. But, uh, but over in Japan, they, um, uh, the 21st century version of that uh, is just not quite as uh, fun and enjoyable. Just like the 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 Chinese Bailan movement, or also translate to let it rot. And these are all kind of like side effects and reactions to side effects and reactions to um, not um, a rejection of where uh, culture and society and um, where, where we're going as a as a as a as a people as any, any I don't know clean it up. So what are you saying that the dude has like withdrawn from the direction yes, society is going? But he will abide. 
He will tolerate it. He will go with it. He will do it on his own terms. But he he's still part of it. I mean, right there, when you looked at the, like you said, the bowling scene is like a cross-section of all of the the uh, of America. So he's still there. He's still leaving the home. He's not shut in, locked out, and completely. He has friends. Um, he he's a good friend. He goes to that awesome. Uh, uh, one of my favorite scenes was uh, when he uh, goes to that that play. He goes to the local theater play, and his like landlord is doing like the <laughs> contemporary <laughs> dance or whatever. I gotta tell you, I I laugh out loud every time I see the little blue mat. He does. <laughs> The stupidest little like somersault on the stage, but he has a he has like the blue like kids gym mat laid out for himself. I don't know why. It's he gr- gets me I every love when time. they they roll right from there. They go, they're talking. Oh, all of our problems, all of our problems will be solved. And they go over to Larry's house. Pleased to meet you, sir. <laughs> it's a fucking iron lung. Ben said iron lung earlier. I actually I wrote down my top scenes. We already talked about the Jesus scene. There's actually like a second Jesus scene where he gets pissed that <laughs> Walter got the match moved for Chavez. He goes, uh, it doesn't matter. We're going to fuck you on Saturday. Now we're going to fuck you on Sunday. <laughs> uh, we talked about the final fight scene with the Nihilist. And then the other one oh. I had down was the Larry Sellers scene. It's so good because it's like it's the right amount of chaos and it builds, right? It starts off with them sitting down like very properly. We didn't, you know, we are not law enforcement. Yeah. We hope it won't be necessary to call law enforcement. Um, you know, they pay, they're like very respectful to Arthur Digby Sellers. Who, who wrote branded bulk of the series and then later on the dude is singing the song from branded but uh his wife pilar she's got a great quote she only has like two lines but she's got walter goes is he still writing she goes no he has health problems the guy's in a fucking iron lung neck next to him as if there was an understatement there's there's few devices they could have used. An iron lung has that power. There is nothing like an iron lung. <laughs> I mean, wasn't it an iron lung when you had like polio and your or you had like something and like your lungs didn't work anymore? So yeah, I they had to like pump your lungs for you. Like you had to create like negative pressure. That's it. To it's, like it's draw polio. air I think into your polio. face. And I remember seeing a weird article a long time ago, and it could have been bullshit, but I, I it was a feel good story. One of the best sex phone operators was a iron lung victim, or iron lung survivor user. <laughs> yeah, yeah. User. Yeah, an iron lungy, an, an iron lung uh, resident, extremely good at sex sex phone operation. Yeah, I'm sure. You yeah, and I mean, she knows. Yeah, well, she sure made lemon, lemonade. You know what I mean? Wait, do you have to like time it? I, I yeah. don't want to go in a black hole on iron lungs, but do you have to. Like, I believe time your no. It's I think they're for completely. You? Um, you know, I don't want to uh, mitigate the, uh, you know, the. 
the, the obstacles that being an iron lung creates in your life. But uh, but yeah, I think all, I think that though they're completely good to go. I think as far as breathing goes. No, it's not like that stoma. I think if you have that throat thing with the we have to put the electric razor to your throat to talk or whatever, that is a huge hindrance for sex phone operating or any talking talking gig. Except sound badass. Well, there's got to yeah, be people who are just into that. Yeah. You know, there's there's uh, there's a totally yeah. That's the are next that episode alone. Yeah, crash. <laughs> Somebody seen, was saying the other crash. day. Uh, what? Got to watch Crash. Crash gets into oh, some of those uh, other other ways crash, of thinking, like the racial diversity film that like won all the awards. Crash from the mid '90s, where people. Oh get into car no! I didn't, yeah, sex. I was thinking you were talking yeah. about the David one Cronenberg. where it's like, yeah, look, crash. you can get sexually assaulted by a cop and then be best friends in the same day or something. That was, I think, the Crash I remember. <laughs> it taught us a great lesson. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> No, not not the one uh, where everybody does kumbaya, but the one where people fuck each when other's wounds. When did that come out? A little more real. God, we could use more of that right Mid-90s, now. Mid-90s, I think hell, it's James Spader. Check it out. Let me know what you think. The Larry Sellers scene, though, is it has everything. Like, it's got Walter okay. and the dude trying to solve a mystery. It's got this little kid who just doesn't give a shit, kind of like... Like yeah. the, the rest of the world doesn't care about their problem. They have his homework, so they think yeah, they have him dead to rights. They have his homework laminated in like a page protector, and they think that they're like, we got him. You know, we got him. They pull up. They think he's already spent the money on a car, or at least thirty grand of it, of the million. Where the dude goes, oh, he already spent it all, like a million dollars. Walter goes, no, it's probably 950, 970 left over. Oh, okay. And then just one of the greatest, like, tirades. Do you see what happens when you fuck a stranger in the ass? And Walter just goes ham on his car. And then the other guy comes out and smashes the dude's car, which is adding that, like, continuity to the just everything keeps happening to the dude's car. When you talk about other cultures, we've got to, like, post this or something, but the Polish movie poster for oh, the big Lebowski is insane. And I think it centers on the dudes or this guy smashing up the dude's car. And then it's just like all like cartoon caricatures of the rest of the, of the, uh, I'm going to check it out. The cast. We'll probably post it on our Instagram though, but it's like the Polish movie poster. It's awesome how that stuff gets translated in different countries too. Especially if you go over to India, yeah. like India, everything goes through a, through an incredible algorithm and comes out crazy. Any movie you can imagine. Yeah. Like Batman would be like Black Rodent, Crime Fighter, <laughs> shit like that. It's wild, dude. <laughs> you, know, you know what the one scene, the, it's the stupid, but translation. It, it gets me every time, is actually when he's sitting in the back of the, the limo and he's talking to the guy listening to like Frank Sinatra music and the guy's telling a story. Like you've probably heard these kind of stories from any kind of Uber driver just kind of like bored and just kind of letting mm-hmm. loose. And then... The dude's yeah. perfect reaction is like, oh, yeah, yeah, man, I got a rash. I got a rash. <laughs> it's just so fucking – these kind of nothingness conversations. But the dude is just such a social, friendly dude that a guy that he um, – that uh, he connects with everybody. 
this guy is busting his ass driving a limo. Everybody generally in that kind of world, that those working stiffs, as they would say, you know, these guys all connect with the dude. Yeah, he's like, uh, well, that guy's name is Dom Herrera. He's a comedian. I've seen him live once. He's actually really funny, but he's like, he's old now. I mean, he's going to be in the 60s or 70s. But yeah, yeah. It's, it's just like the dude going along to get along. And like this, so it's it's nice when the dude meets like another just easygoing guy. And he's just, you know, he's laid back. He's got his feet kicked up on the uh, on the back seat of the limo. The guy, the guy goes, you know, my wife's a pain in the ass. She's always busting my friggin' haggards. My daughter's married to a jabron loser bastard, and I got a rash so bad on my ass I can't even sit down. But you know me, I can't complain. And then, and then the dude replies to him. He's got like this little like mock Italian accent. He goes, "Oh yeah, you know, I gotta tell you, Tone." He gets tossed in the other limo, and it completely changes. He goes, nothing is, he's talking to Big Lebowski, nothing is fucked. He goes, nothing is fucked. The plane has crashed into the mountain. And it's crazy that this movie would also come right before, would come out in 98. And then, and I believe like, you know, was such a, it, God, we didn't even hit this, was the whole feature of uh, the Iraq war, the first Gulf War, kind of making its way in there in little dribs and drabs with Saddam Hussein and that was an interesting kind of time capsule right. in the US because that was before things like that going on over there really had such an effect on things stateside it felt so foreign and alien right and then not but like three years later would be we'd be launched into a whole different uh generation or uh, uh, epoch of the United States into one where this movie yeah yeah well Walter says <laughs> when Walter's talking about the man in the black pajamas <laughs> he's like now nah, that's a word because I mean you got to think you know that's a worthy fucking adversary not you know <laughs> not some camel fucker trying to find reverse on a Soviet tank but like yeah. You know, Vietnam went on for like a decade, right? I mean, I'm not a historian, but like early 60s to early 70s, you know? Um, like they were in for the long haul, and that is more like what we've gone through than, you know, Desert Storm was yeah. like over, you know, it was like a long weekend, right? The actual like ground conflict, there was a lot of like build up and like forward stage in the troops and everything like that, but. Like from the invasion till like it's over, it exactly. was you know four days, and so Walter is probably like, you know, like I yeah. faced a worthy These fucking all adversary. Like, yeah, right. Yeah, in his own right, you know, Walter also lives in his own past and is kind of a dinosaur in his sorts, and seeing kind of like in in his own way, where he yeah. where he was in. Uh, in the 60s, his participation and everything in comparison to the dude. Both of them are kind of relics in their own right. But maybe there's something to be learned. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what's funny is what's funny is I was talking to uh, I was talking to an old teammate who's like, uh, you know, more senior leader in uh, special forces now. 
and apparently when the guys go on like a you know just like a trip to like go like train in another country wow. and come no back kidding. they call it really? a deployment wow. yeah wow <clears throat> and it's yeah yeah and it's like you know a deployment used to be like when yeah. you got shot and then you know like yeah charlie squawking the bush come back now with everybody like, but now it's just like training with you know, uh Going to the range with the Colombians. Right? They should come down here and clear out some of these mega bandas. We could use that. We can get a lot of trigger time with that. Go over to the <laughs> northern Chile. How did you like the uh, the new dread? I like or the, the old, old dread because it felt dread. more comic. Stallone or the felt new like guy? The, like like it was. I don't read comics, but I felt like that's what it's based from. I, it felt like a comic. It felt kind of like. Um, the characters yeah. were overly expressive, over the top. It, it it worked. I think the new Dread was going for a different feel, yeah. a little more grit, but it was also CGI. So it also that always feels a little too sanitized for me. You know? Yeah, I like I, I like I like real sets. Oh, yeah? I like the when I watch a movie, I like uh, the feel like this is um, you know. So you like the. So you like the Tron from the '80s and not the Tron from 2010? Dude, the Tron from 2010 was awesome, also. But I'm a married man. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now that I'm a married man, all relationships took took place nine, twenty years ago. <laughs> that's, that's what you got to do. Yeah, that is. Uh, that's a side effect. That is a highlight of yeah. uh, of Tron Legacy. Oh my oh. god! Yeah. She's just a computer. Yeah, program. that ass downloaded in full resolution. <laughs> Yeah. Good God. Uh, nice. What else? Uh, but yeah, I went looking. I went down a total rabbit hole that eventually ended me up with Rasputin, which is incredible. All right, so I I looked into the Chinese. So uh, the Chinese have a, a movement right now called the lying. Well, not right now. This happened. This would be like 2017. The lying flat movement, and the lying flat movement, as you guys probably know it as the Tang Ping movement. Um, is a rejection of societal pressure and overwork. And so what they do is they, they lower their ambitions in lieu of protecting their psychological state. And so what they do is they're like, all right, I'm going to work a basic amount of hours and uh, so I can always be in my pajamas, eat basic sustenance that keeps me alive and happy, and I'm going to log on to my like social media and get all of my entertainment pellets um, and sexual desires and everything I need fulfilled, social desire, every all that, des- like through that. And in my little These are bubble. the guys who marry a These sex These are the doll. people that marry, but they're happily married. That's the weird thing about it. The Tang Ping movement is kind of like I'm going into second gear and I can't do what the, the Chinese Communist Party wants me to do. I can't run it that high octane. I'm going to I'm going to do it my way. The Tang Ping movement, interestingly enough, is kind of like the dude's mentality. It's I'm going to take it, take it easy. I'm going to take it on my own terms. But then that has turned now into the Bailan movement. And the Bailan movement, or as it translates, is to let it rot, is more of a nihilistic dark side to that. And that is saying, I'm not going to do nothing. I'm not going to – I don't care if the streets turn to shit. I don't care about crime. I don't care about um, everything falling apart. It doesn't matter to me. I have no connections to my family. That is kind of closer to the hikikimori of the Japanese hermits. 
and that's that's what's coming out. And then and then in the Western mm. society, we have the goblin goblin mode. <laughs> and going goblin mode came from the pandemic, and it it, it pretty much is why it's it's like a so at the beginning of the pandemic, people thought that it was only going to be like, and I bet everybody's never heard enough about this fucking thing, but um. So like oh, everybody thought it was going to be like two to three weeks or four weeks or whatever. The pandemic would be over. So people were like, oh, this will be a fun time to be like into skincare and like cooking and whatever horse shit that they needed to get through and just kind of, you know, do a little self-assessment check and reevaluation, maybe tighten up, you know, finally get into the exercise program, their P90X or whatever. But once it continued going and it didn't stop, then goblin mode set in and goblin mode – took over uh the like uh a lot of people uh, young folks um and they uh they gave up and so they're just constantly just in their pjs um eating like you know melted cheese on saltine crackers that's their three squares a day and um waking up at like 2 a.m they have like the weirdest hours um and just completely checking out have I seen a goblin in the grocery in the grocery store? Have um, I ever seen a goblin? Well, How can I find one up? I I suppose probably the goblin has like a go-between, almost like a Renfield type character, probably their mom or dad doing most of their shopping. So I you're if you're you're probably you will be <laughs> your goblin your goblin hunt will will take you into someone's private residence, more likely. <laughs> You'll have to go climb through someone's fucking window, dude. <laughs> They're not they're not the easiest spot, just like the uh the Bailan folks. But the Tang Pingers, um, which was started by a Chinese influencer known as Big Eggplant, they they can be seen on the street more often. <laughs> you can see where my <laughs> I got I got sidetracked. Uh but yeah, the um they they'll hang out in the street. They'll sleep on their scooters. They'll hang out and congregate with other Thai pingers, and um, they're actually kind of more of like what we would call slackers. They're like our slacker movement. So, <laughs> yeah. Matt, bring us, yeah. bring us home. Bring us home, Matt. You're fucked. <laughs> uh, this is all very insightful. If I'm thinking about how the dude approaches life, I might just go back to like a more traditional view of yeah. like Buddhism, like. Suffering exists once you can, like, accept that and kind of, like, not not try to control the things that are out of your control. You can kind of, like, minimize your own suffering. Have you drifted towards a mindset after your time in the service? What what um, mindset or kind of idealistic path has worked? Not much. Do you feel like has worked best know, for you? like... Yeah, I think just like uh, I kind of dabble in like philosophy, but not any kind of like spirituality or religion. Stoicism. Yeah, I'd say stoicism. Actually, most people would most people who know me would describe me as a stoic. Maybe. Yeah, that's what I would. I try. I think stoicism is something I've leaned on when my dad was uh, going through his treatment. He's good. He's in remission. Rock on. Um, Yeah, I. kicks ass he's rocking um he's just like bird watching and drinking bloody mary so that's fucking heavy remission dude (laughs) so uh i uh i stoicism worked for me stoicism was very helpful i didn't have that 
maturity when I was young in the service. So that I didn't, I, I kind of picked that up way later once I got healthy and got clean and everything. Then I, I was like, oh, this is cool. I can think with a, with a clear mind state. This is really cool. But my dad's always flirted with kind of Buddhism as well. And um, my wife's Chilean, half Chilean, half Japanese. And so she, she brings kind of Buddhism to the table. And a little bit of that oh, God, okay. God emperor, dude. Always screaming bomb. No, I'm joking. <laughs> but we're we're uh, yeah. It's weird. Like the now with this um, now with the internet. I mean, I think everybody's now sharing their different ways of coping. And uh, man, fucking bilin sucks. <laughs> I'm so not gonna do that <laughs> or typing. I'm with you. Yeah. I think a little bit of Buddhism, Taoism, definitely not. Uh, Scopsy. What is that? The Polish version of uh, Biling? No. <laughs> Scopsy is uh, the Russian. It's a Russian break off from the Hlisty movement. And uh, it pretty much says it was born out of Siberia. And it says that like um, that your sin all comes from your, your penis and your nipples. And so uh, in order to remove those distractions from your life, you got to you got to come up, cut them off. If you cut off your testicles, that's called the lesser seal. And if you cut off your dick and testicles, that's called the greater seal. And, uh, yeah, man, don't even ask me how I got into that. How but do you, I, I was reading uh, up on Rasputin. I like how you treat the episode like a book report. <laughs> like you go, you go like two and three layers back and sideways on, some kind of thing that catches your mind to the point where we're not even talking about the film anymore. Dude, this is how uh, you go from a four-year degree to a seven-year bachelor's. <laughs> <laughs> I do know I'm going to have a, a hell of a fucking time ep- uh, editing this episode. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. How long ago? And yeah, you're looking about two hours anything? of this. So, wait, was that Rasputin? Rambling? Did he cut his dick off? Rasputin was part of the Hlisty movement, so he was... Uh, he did not cut his dick off, but he would. He was really into dancing um, until he got into a trance state, and then he would collapse on the floor and then get into an orgy with all the other participants in the the dancing. And um, that's what he brought to the court of the czar. That's where he came into this whole thing, where he's like, he would he would find all these chicks, and he'd be like, "Listen, you're you need to like become impure so I can clean you uh, all of your sins." And he picked that up from the Hlisties. And the Hlisties, that was a thing. I've, I got into a big mystic thing because, um, I don't know, I think we're, I'm reading books about uh, feudalism. And I believe, like, in some way, like, these are weird representations we're finding today of things we had in feudalism. Like the court jester. You know, like mm-hmm. the, court, the court jester was to deliver bad news, you know, and to give you the news the way you could, you could digest it. And in a way, like, everybody has on YouTube or whichever, like, even in podcasts, like, anything, like, their own court jester that delivers the news of the world through the way that they can they can digest it and take it, you know, and not just be completely – have to insulate themselves from it because it's just bombarding so you be like them. a social historian. Dude, I'm a fucking idiot in Santiago. <laughs> you can you – <laughs> You come up with like a like a, a series of like social archetypes that you tie across uh, time periods in so. history, dude. I think we are it. we're moving towards something of almost like neo feudalism. It's it's. I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing, but I do think we're we're getting slowly chugging along towards something closer to that. I don't know. My belief. 
As long as we don't become scopsy, have to cut off our dicks and pee through cow I'm going to avoid scopsy at all. <laughs> yeah. They, oh, they say it still survives, weirdly enough, up until the 1990s in the backwoods of Latvia. There might be some scopsy holding. So what do you think? Know, what what well, what ceased that to exist? Was it Nirvana came out and they were done with it? Like what, the Soviets what happened? crushed them. The Soviets saw this thing coming around and they were like, "This is this is we can't have this. We can't exist with this." At the same time, so they exiled them to Siberia. But that was like the worst thing to do because when you're in Siberia, you have nothing to do, and like, and so they're like that took off like they went from having 5,000 adherents to 100,000 now not everybody cut their dicks off but they said about 15% did which is a massive number when you think about it and they said you could identify them because they would be trying to fake like they had low voices but they would naturally and they had no wrinkles so they were just like these oddly alien creatures you'd see them kind of out and about and you go I think that dude's. Well, I think the Catholic Church used to uh, castrate like uh, young boys with good yeah. singing voices. They call them castrati. And like once they hit the perfect uh, pitch, they just. Cut I read how the last castrati died in like 1960 or something like that, and there was this big thing about the last performance of the last castrati, and like people were crying and losing it, like they were going bananas because they were like, "Oh my god, we can't do this anymore." I always wonder what kind of weird stuff is going on down in Patagonia because I was down there since the last time we we all chatted. And, uh, oh, man, you could do anything down there. It is wild frontier country. You get down in some of these – oh, my gosh. Yeah. Completely separate from the podcast. I'll just like – just as a side story. It's funny. I was was, uh, volunteering with this group called Pueblo Patagonia because this story will not translate well. Jesus. But meantime – I'm just working on green cards, baby. Getting my caravan ready. Caravan of two. <laughs> Storm the border. <laughs> yeah. The migrant caravan. You decide yeah. to drive up With my to mega the southern band. border. <laughs> <laughs> There's only like one person that can do like type uh, of person that apparently what? can drive from the Tierra del Fuego all the way up to Alaska and generally be unmolested. And it's surfers. Yeah, cartels don't mess with them too much. They just oh, are yeah? like, oh, they're hippies. I think that's why like, they would be like almost like the dude. They're harmless. There's nothing they can really take off them. Nothing too much of value worth it. So they, they, those are the only people that I've ever listened, heard of like they successfully do it. All the other ones like Mormons and all sorts of like traveling evangelists, they've always run into like crazy problems in Colombia or, or even like Latin America going through like Nicaragua yeah, or Guatemala. With no hostage, there's no ransom. Those are the rules. <laughs> And you got a guy who's reflecting everything back versus somebody who's trying to tell you how things are done. What are you going to do with your mirror? You're going to fuck with your mirror? Like, let your mirror go. <laughs> Is there anything about the movie we didn't talk about? I have two notes. The first. We talked about repeated dialogue, but I also just love the language itself. Like, just... Uh, I put I wrote down two words micturated and pederast which are like million dollar words in Scrabble. And he goes if, if, if whenever anybody's rug is micturated upon in this fine city, am I to reimburse the owner? <laughs> You've never heard that word anywhere else and you won't. 
And then, yeah, when they just say, oh, yeah, Quintana, <laughs> he's a pederast. Because sometimes I'll, you know, I'll say that in jest and people are like, oh, what is that? I'm like, well, obviously you haven't seen the Big Lebowski. And then my second thing was one of the most ancillary characters, but Knox Harrington, the video artist, this guy. The Paul Waters guy with the pencil thin mustache. House. Yeah. And he, he goes, would you like a drink? Yeah, the bar's over there. And then they like, they picked up the phone and they just start fucking giggling away and it's almost like surreal when the dude is just watching them and he's just like okay well i guess i'll show myself out like it like he's he's, at one point he's interacting with these people but then like they just like transport themselves to where he's like oh yeah i'm not these people like and they're just like giggling their fucking asses away (laughs) it's one of the one of the best like sideways insults ever he goes oh yeah your friend with a cleft asshole (laughs) <laughs> can't say i haven't used that one too i think i got i think that covered everything on my um you got all your crazy i like, got it all out eastern i got it all out in, man which i don't know yeah. how you find i i um uh, it had that pull i'm okay. telling you but all right so i'll i'll re-ask the question what what makes a man holy shit man what makes a man hold on I want to give a good answer. This is fucked. This is going to be, this is like really reinventing the wheel. I think the man, what makes a man? His time. The time in which he lives it, the moment, the man for the moment and the man for the time, as said in the movie, not my original words, but that is, that is what it, when the moment comes, Mm. the man will reveal himself based on his character, who he is. Those things will come to light. Walter does that. How? How he reacts to uh, yeah in that the world exact that's moment, to him. whatever strange collection of events that mm. descend upon him from whatever directions, that's when the man is revealed. That's when he comes out. Yeah, yeah. Boy, I said like I had real gravitas, but mm. <laughs> <laughs> how about you, Ben? What makes the man? <laughs> what made you in Honduras? What happened down there? Did you find the heart of darkness? Do you slay water buffalo? But I would say, like, How was back that? to the what makes a man in yeah. context of the movie, I think what's genius about it is it's uh, what makes a man. Uh, the dude is a reflection of everything, and it makes it the greatest farce ever. And even Donnie has more agency than the dude mm. does. The dude reflects everything, and we project everything we want onto him, and it's the greatest comedy I fucking love it Ew. jackie treehorn i mean I, I think if we were to take a moment and, and just be like hey who's who's the man <laughs> who who is the man like just try to see what's on the sketch of the backside. then jackie treehorn's dick <laughs> is everything it says it all it's very deep i mean that. it starts with a tumbleweed it ends with a tumbleweed and we've been following a tumbleweed the whole time that's the fucking yeah. dude yeah. Yeah. I'll say that I think a uh I think mm. a man is defined by his code. I like your explanation of uh it's how it's it's who he is in his time and how he reacts to it. And I'll say what informs how he reacts to it and potentially like or hypothetically how he would react in any other time is like the code that he's uh, written for himself 
I mean, it's kind of mm. like stealing from, you know, Omar and the wire, but everyone's got to have a code, right? So if we look at this movie, the dude's code is just don't try too hard and you're going to be a passenger in life. Try to voice your opinion here or there, but don't really rail against whatever's happening to you. Um, and shit will work out. And we kind of see that. Like, shit just resolves itself at the end. And they're back to bowling. You know, they're down one friend. Um, <laughs> kind of tragically. But, but aside from that, he's just grabbing a drink at the bar, going back to bowl. Um, if you're Walter, it's try to identify the rules that govern and then operate by them and and try to hold everybody to the same rules and a standard yeah, so that everything is ground. in order stand the ground whenever possible you know and uh but sometimes yeah. i think about that like uh i actually think i was like really fortunate to be able to serve if we tie it back to that like, you know, I turned 16 in 2001. If I turned 16 in 1941, or if I turned 16 in 19, you know, 61 or 1911, you would have hit that generation. Yeah, that had that has like called to serve, and and you know, you would have made like a pretty. Well, I mean, in the old days, you were just conscripted, but you would have made. A pretty like life-altering decision at that moment um and that's kind of like what defines a big piece of your yeah. personality going forward right so i kind of think of uh you know when i think of that how would you, if you dropped yourself off in a different time period who would you uh, have been then and are you know are you going to be the same yeah person? that's always like an interesting uh mental game you know they say you have to study two different time periods to understand your own and um and the mentality and the mindset and the values of those and i think overall yeah i think when it comes to that certain call to service in keeping with the the military uh, uh theme yeah i think there are always been those people that 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 are are stepping into the fray first and foremost those kind of thing and that that's just the moment calls them you know it's yeah. crazy when you meet those people yeah. that that were like that joined with that kind of gusto, but it never presented itself. And the weird things that come of that. Whoo! Oh yeah, you got the guys who like, you know, I joined the I joined the army in 1981, and I didn't. Yeah. You know, I didn't go to Grenada. Yeah, I got some gnarly bar <laughs> fights, bar fights, years. and divorces. And like, you know, which are pretty brutal, right. but yeah. you know, it's in a different category. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, we had right. dudes. We had some senior uh, staff NCOs that uh, have been a little bit in that category, and uh, that made for some interesting mix. We had some yeah. some of them salty, salty junior enlisted. So, are you guys thinking about doing more movie reviews and more? Are you guys gonna do the tank one with uh, uh, Avi, Israeli Philly? Would you do Fury? Oh, or yeah, would we you should, do we the, need there's to, an Israeli uh, tank movie that came out that's supposed to be fucking awesome. About the the it's I think it's about the Valley of Tears. If you look it up, Israeli IDF tank movie Valley of Tears, 
it's about when they faced off against the Syrians and the Syrians are about to like seriously boofu them and like really fuck them up and the Israelis uh, held them off. Um, it's supposed to be pretty badass, pretty hardcore movie. Fury rocks as well. I love Fury. I love Fury because it had a, a real style to it. That movie left an impression. It was kind of like it made you feel a little bit, uh, which is good. I like yeah, it when I mean, a movie does I that. I think Fury is one of the most underrated. Oof, I, yeah. I always said Hamburger Hill was one movie, of the more yeah. underrated war movies because veteran population is a, a real minority, like in the you know in the greater GP. So even if a movie like capture is truly like what the culture is like it's gonna lose out to a movie that is just purely more entertaining so like full metal jacket or you know like platoon is gonna be because platoon they they pit barnes against elias and then full metal jacket they have like half the movies in basic training and your general population is gonna like gravitate towards that but like you watch Hamburger Hill, and if you've been a member of an infantry squad, you relate to Hamburger Hill pretty closely, even though it wasn't like a blockbuster hit, and I don't think a lot of people watch it now. But there's elements that movie Fury yeah. where it's just like, yeah. yeah, we're not all saints, you know? Like, there's just there's ugly parts of war, and I don't know, it gives like a realistic view. And, you know, I didn't serve in World War II. But it like it dives a little more into those like, you know, imperfections. It doesn't paint the soldiers like, you know, all heroes. They did some heroic shit. Yeah, it has it's completely fallible and it shows that gothic feel. Everything feels heavy, wet, dark. It's, um, you know, people are marred and scarred up. It's uh, um, people are off. Obviously, that's that's uh, it's seen really reflective. Whatever they brought in that like little pogue fella to be part of the tank crew, and then they were like, "Oh, man, sweet boy," yeah. and he's amongst all these like just savage right. killers. The scene where they're trying to eat, yeah. like just eat eggs with the two women, yeah. yeah, and they just like can't be around regular people. You just like can't <laughs> yeah. let them around civilized people. Oh, dude, it's so yeah. it's so uncomfortable. My, uh, you know, my uncle fought through north or my great uncle he fought through north africa and italy and um people talk about in the family that he he came out of that one pretty pretty wrecked he was like wounded six times and his job was to follow along radio cables from the germans with a thompson machine gun and when he just run into another one just stitch him up and uh i think that will eventually wear down on your psyche eventually and uh yeah that dude um Eventually came home and then didn't really. He just kind of retired off into the into the countryside of Minnesota. Never really heard from much again. But yeah, that movie is that's a great one to review. Um, have I know I I think I mentioned it before, but Come and See is fucking brutal. But that I don't know who the hell you talk to about that one. Come and See is uh, the Russian film. I know those guys aren't getting very good press these days. But uh, Come and See is about uh, the Nazis going into Belarusia. And it's extremely uncomfortable. And it features scenes where they use machine guns, like real machine guns, to shoot scenes. <laughs> it's crazy. It's wild. Really dark. Brutal. But, yeah. But, yeah, I like it, though. The movie review is pretty cool. I'm digging it. 
I think we need to wrap this up. I mean, there was a time, there was a place, there was a dude. Yeah. Matt, lead us. I just want to say, <laughs> fuck, fuck it, dude. it, dude. Let's go bowling. <laughs> I'll catch you guys on the other side. Thanks for having me, fellas. It's good seeing you guys all again.